Hey dudes and dudettes, what is going on? And welcome to episode number 30 of the LaPrest and Guest Podcast. My guest today is my good friend Joe Wolf. Joe Wolf works in the aerospace industry. On Joe's return to the podcast, we discuss film and television with a heavy focus on shows such as Game of Thrones, The Witcher, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much to everyone who listens and supports the LaPrest and Guest Podcast. I'm so grateful for all of your support. And as always, last but certainly not least, a special thank you to the brave men and women of our United States military for without your bravery, dedication, and sacrifice, I would not be able to do what I love doing. I am always forever in your debt. And we are live. And we're um, live. Morning, sir. Thanks. Yeah, I got the mic everything going. Um, it may be a little finicky a little bit. It sounded like it was going in and out. But I'm very happy because now going forward, my audio quality should be even better on these podcasts. Oh, yeah, I think it sounds great. Well, go back. And, I think your setup is really good and it makes sense because you do a lot of gaming stuff on it. So you're very mm -hmm. interactive with your computer and your audio and your speaker. And if you go back and listen to Arch episode that we did, I think you're going to notice a night and day improvement in audio quality, especially on my end. Awesome. And, yeah, no, that's pretty much this headset. It's got the, the mic built in. So yeah, pretty much that's what I use it for is gaming hanging out with with the buddies that kind of stuff and it's so funny because gordon's dad actually helped me get my computer picked out and what i use it for is essentially at the time it was just doing word documents with school and stuff like that and streaming netflix so i am um, i never utilize computers to their max potential or ability that they have i have very basic needs that i need to have met and when he was asking me how i like the computer when i got it i said it's good. It's cool. It's processing quickly. But the only gripes I have about it are that the speakers and the microphone suck on it. Hmm. So um, just a just a little bit of feedback for Lenovo. Not not saying you don't know what you're doing <laughs> and um, that uh, you don't make a wonderful product because you, in fact, do. But yeah, the speaker immediately i as soon as i purchase the laptop i'm testing it out and i'm watching netflix or doing some audio related thing at home in a very quiet environment i had it blasted and i could barely hear it so i immediately had to purchase some external speakers yeah i'm a big headphone guy <clears throat> i well not like big headphone guy i mean there's like crazy people out there that'll spend 300 600 bucks on a pair of like you know gucci top tier you know headphones like there's like a term for it what is it like audiophile i think is the term yes but yeah i mean those people are paying crazy money to get the absolute like best sound that they possibly can out of you know out of their audio equipment but and that's what was such a struggle with me with this podcast is i was fortunate to where i got by and i have a good bit of listeners and followers and i'm so grateful for them because I don't have a good ear for audio, so unless it was really, really obvious, I wouldn't be able to tell you what a good microphone it was from a bad microphone if they were generally performing the same. Um, 
but when I finally got this mic working and I got the first uh, episode I got it working was with Drew Marsh and mm. we recorded over Zoom again night and day difference so when you go back and listen to this specifically my audio juxtaposed to our two conversations is going to be night and day difference so I'm looking forward to that but that's one of the I say the reason one of the many reasons my what I wanted to be as an illustrious career as a singer and dancer did not take off because I, I just don't have the ear. <laughs> One, I can't even explain to you what. Oh, I've seen the moves. Are. You've got the moves. The, the moves are there. The dancing is there. <laughs> and what God told me, he's like, you don't understand that the singing is actually the main thing you need to be good at. So. <laughs> well, there's auto tune for that. And lo and behold, there's hope like, for you yet. Yeah. And he's like, you don't know it, but at 12 years old, this, uh, lush uh lush head of lettuce that you have is going to be no more in about 20 oh yep oh you and i both so he's like hey i'm taking away your vocals as just a precursor for your entire life <laughs> hear me hear me now you you got blessed with an inordinate amount of personality and comedy <laughs> skills and there's going to be trade-offs my son uh, as as there is with everything as there is with everything so um how's your how's your week been? Busy. Good man. Leading up into the holidays. Um yeah, work has just been nuts. But <clears throat> it's uh we're on the, the downhill slide now going into the holidays. I think most of my colleagues take uh take the next week off, but mm. I didn't have any trips or anything planned, so I was just like, ah, I'll stay in the office and bank up a little bit more uh PTO, I guess. So nice. So I won't get into your company's name or anything, but I, we've, we've talked and our companies are in the same line of work and do similar stuff. Yep. It's, it's like that way in my company too, where December is one of our slower times and the week leading the week or two before Christmas, a lot of people take off. So I, one, we get so much holiday and vacation time that I can kind of get restless. Do you ever find yourself getting restless with almost it's such a snobby complaint, but too much vacation time or time off. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I don't take time off, which I probably should like David Goggins, no days off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the last time that I took a day off was uh, when we went down to, down to Hexington, I, I took that Friday off. So oh, the old Sexington. Huh? Yeah. The old, well, I, I mean, <laughs> Hexing, I call it Hexington because I left with a curse. But... Oh boy, that um, you, you left a good. You left a. There's something, and we should really be mindful of this. You seem to take the brunt of it whenever me, you, and Will Stone are in a close <laughs> in a close proximity and drinking starts taking place. Yeah, well, you know what, I I do it to myself, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's it was. I guess I didn't take it as bad as one of you. Oh God, who was your buddy who was there the like the day that we left? Tom. Yeah, Tom. Tom had the worst of the worst worst of it. But yeah, and what we've got to understand is people like Will and Gordon. They are bred for that type of lifestyle. <laughs> that, <laughs> they are the thor. They are the thoroughbreds. So yeah, I am a lightweight. I I mean I I am yeah light work when it comes to that. But man, it was so much fun that that was a blast but yeah i mean that was literally that's the only day off that i've taken like ever like when mm -hmm. i worked at anheuser-busch i don't think i ever took any days off and i haven't taken a day off except for well yeah except for for lexington 
So did you take any time off for Kimmy's wedding? Oh, you know what? Yeah, good point. I did take a day, just a day though, because I think we all left on um I think we left on a Thursday and we had that Friday off or something. But yeah, long that was that was a blast too. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Are you able does your company allow you to roll over vacation time? And if so, is there a cap on how much you can roll over? Yeah, you can we we can accrue a certain amount of hours of PTO. And then, um, but like once you get up to that cap, it doesn't accumulate. So you're basically just losing extra money. So sure, whenever people start getting to the, to that, I think it's like, I can, I think I can get up to like 260 something hours, but then after the 260 hours are, you know, met, you just start losing it. So people start taking Fridays off and leaving early, that kind of stuff, just to make sure they don't get it up too high yeah we can only roll over 40 hours which i ended up just gaining an extra week of vacation which i'm happy about but even at three weeks of vacation i was just naturally rolling over two or three days and it wasn't like i was trying to conserve or save them i just for if i'm not doing a good bit of traveling to get to a location four or five days is my sweet spot for vacation time off that i need yeah I I don't have yeah I just I guess I don't travel much for work and then other than you know going going on little trips like my place in uh, or my parents place in Arkansas is only like four hours away so I can do that you know after work on a Friday and then spend Saturday Sunday there and then head home so most of the places that I go to if I am going to go you know take a trip or only half a day's drive away so it's not like uh I've got to take additional time off if I did want to go down to Arkansas or that's really the only place I go to. So I do, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll take some time this winter. Uh, I got a couple buddies in Chicago and last, mm. um, last Christmas we were not last Christmas. It's almost Christmas time. Last, uh, last winter we went to Chicago, met up with my buddy. And then we went to, I think it was somewhere in Wisconsin to go snowboarding. So I'm hoping we can do that again. Um, you know, again, burn some PTO. And then also I, uh, I picked up a new snowboard maybe like t a year, two years mm. ago, and I've only got to ride it like once. So I got so lucky with this snowboard. We have this, uh, this outdoor shop in St. Louis it's called the Alpine shop okay. and they do a, a swap and sell, uh, one mm. in the fall and then one in the spring. So people bring in their used gear and it's basically just like a giant consignment sale and i showed up there and i was like ah, i don't need to buy anything i'm just gonna look around but it's like you know people bring in really nice you know outerwear uh you know equipment backpacks all this stuff so i was just kind of browsing and then i saw this snowboard propped up against the wall and i was like "Ooh!" i went and looked at it it was in incredible shape like Someone had, I'm convinced that someone bought this snowboard, <laughs> maybe took it out to Colorado like once and then brought it back, put it in their closet and totally forgot about it. Cause like there were, there was like maybe one scratch on the bottom of the board and there was still like the made in China sticker, like adhered to the bottom of the board, which means that I know that they didn't ride this thing hard at all. So <laughs> between the no scratches no like stickers still being on the board. I looked at it and I was like, oh shit, this thing is incredible. And 
but I was like, no, I don't need it. I've already got a snowboard, which was one that I got when I lived up in Maine for like 75 bucks. And it was all beat up and pockmarked and scratched and everything. So <laughs> I was like, ah, I still have this one. It's fine. I don't need a, a new one. But then it, I, it, it was just like one of those things where it's like you see something you don't need and then someone else shows interest in it. And you're like, fuck, I need it. I got to go get it. So this couple walked up and started looking at the snowboard and I was like, like, you know, I saw that they were looking at it and then I was like Googling the price. I was like, okay, when this board was new, how much was it? Uh, and it had a set of bindings on it and everything. So then the couple kind of did what I did originally. They like turned around, walked away and I just like gremlined over to, to the snowboard, grabbed it, put it in a bag and was like, <laughs> we're out. It was originally, I think it was like a, I don't know, like a $500 board and probably $200 bindings. And I think I ended up getting it for like $250. So I got a really. So about, really, about, about tree fitting. Yeah. But, well, a little, about a, about a hundred less than tree fitting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, got a new board. Really want to get some, some hours on it. I know Missouri is not a great place for, uh, not a great place for, for snowboarding we got because mm. we got no mountains but chicago's close enough and then it's just a two-hour little jaunt from chicago to get anywhere up in wisconsin we could probably get up to michigan too pretty easy mm. um but yeah looking forward to i don't know if you ski or not but uh meet you will stone gordon we get together for a ski trip and i'm coming back with some broken limbs because <laughs> oh god that'd be so much fun oh that would be great I, I actually snowboard. It's been a while since I snowboarded, but my church was one of the ones fortunate enough to do a ski and snowboarding trip. And I don't know how, and it was this way with a few times I briefly water skied or wakeboard. I would always do wakeboarding. And I don't know, there was something, not to say that skiing or water skiing is easy, but they certainly come with their challenges, especially when you're starting out. But it felt too easy in comparison to the challenges snowboarders and wakeboarders would go to. There was something about with skiing. I didn't like having the four points of contact. It almost felt like cheating. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah. As somebody and not to who say used it's to teach easy. people how to water ski. Yeah. I think double ski water skiing is definitely the easy. Well, if, you know, if, if there's, if there's three options, Two ski water skiing is going to be easiest. Wakeboarding is going to be second, but slalom skiing is going to be the hardest by far. Certainly. Certainly. And I also think a lot of it was just because of um, some of my formative years of growing up. I'm watching Rocket Power, Johnny Tsunami, Brink, the X Games, and a lot of the sports I'm gravitating towards or they're doing in those movies or TV shows are on board, you know? Mm-hmm. You remember the, the Tony Hawk episode of Rocket Power? Yes. Oh, my God. I just remember at some point they were like blacklight either. I think they were either blacklight snowboarding or blacklight skating at Tony Hawk's place. And it was like the coolest thing ever. And I was like, God damn it. I'm, I'm sold. This is what I want to do. And that's, I mean, yeah, I've always snowboarded. I don't think I've ever actually, I've slalom skied, wakeboarded. I don't think I've ever water skied. Like with two skis, I, I've tried it. It it it's certainly tough. And again, it's not to say that it's easier, but um, in terms of snowboarding, skiing, I wanted a little bit of the challenge of getting up on one board. And honestly, 
half the battle of learning how to snowboard is just learning how to get on and off the lift with that clunky piece of equipment. <laughs> yeah, learning learning how to get off the lift and learning how to fall because there's there's a good way to fall and there's a bad way to fall. Oh yes. So yeah, yeah you gotta 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 learn learn that. And again, did you ever watch Johnny Tsunami or some of those Disney Channel original movies growing up? Yeah, I mean Brink, of course. Oh, uh, of course. Always Team Pup and Suds. Um, yeah, we're we're soul skaters. I don't remember Johnny Tsunami as well. Um, I so feel like the kid who only... lives out in Hawaii, then he moves over to Vermont, and they they describe this rift between the skiers and snowboarders. And this is what I thought it was going to be at every mountain you went to across the world is that they made it seem like it was the bloods versus Crips or Ukraine versus <laughs> Russia. Like, like that's how hostile they made these relationships seem. And yeah. then you start snowboarding and skiing. And when you're getting ready to go on your first run or to your first mountain ever, you're like, watch out for these douchebag skiers. They're, they're just the worst people. And in my defense, skiers are, are, awful they just they just go across the mountain from one side to the other just thinking that they own the mountain so i do think i do think johnny tsunami got it right in their portrayal of skiers they're 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 just the worst of the worst <laughs> well i uh i honestly i yeah i think i haven't observed that as much but it's interesting you say that because like most of the time i feel like skiers get the bad rep because they do like the short little choppy turns and those then yes. create moguls Yes. And then the reason that everybody hates snowboarders is that we just like do the the big falling leaf like S shaped, you know, we're carving across an mm. entire run and the skiers are doing their quick like pop, pop, pop turns. So they create the moguls and then snowboarders get, you know, like it is it it's tough. I, I'm I'm not averse enough uh versed well enough snowboarder to be able to navigate moguls. I'm sure you know, you gotta have you gotta have Garrett on if you wanna talk about some skiing you know, tips oh, Gary and Harrison. And yeah, I'm actually in the process of trying to get him on and reaching out to him. He's a pretty busy guy, too. Yeah. I mean, he and Tyler and well, Will Stone, too. I mean, they all went out to Winter Park for those winners. I should have I should have gone and met up with those guys. I kick myself every every year now. I'm like, man, I should have gone out and done that while they were there. So I think it's some. I think uh, Gary is still out there. And really? some of them are. Oh, okay. yeah, I, th I, I think some of then. them are still out out there. I was talking to him, and he said not as much of the crew is out there, but I think he's still out there. And it seems like feels like he could really just do that lifestyle for quite some time. It feels like that's what Garrett wants to do: is spend as much time outdoors and just be outside as much as possible. Oh yeah, I mean, well, yeah, he's he is an out. He, Garrett's Garrett's a real man. I don't know if you can say that in the year twenty twenty two, but Garrett is is actually a real man. He's a man's man. Yeah, he's a man's man. Um, so to some extent, there was one thing I'm gonna grill and press him about on um, on when he comes on the podcast, a little joke between us. Mm. So uh, stay stay tuned for that. Episode. Looking forward to it. Looking forward yes. to it. Yeah, but um, oh man. So are you uh, you're just gonna be sticking around St. Louis, Arkansas for the holiday? Do you guys go to the Arkansas house for Christmas at all? That feels like it would be a dope ass Christmas. Yeah, well, so we actually, I don't think we've ever done a Christmas down there. Usually when I was growing up, we did Thanksgiving in Arkansas with my mom's parents. And then we did Christmas in Omaha with my dad's parents. Uh, my dad's one of 11 kids, so we had a huge family. Ooh. Like, everybody would get together. So we, uh, 
but yeah, in the last couple of years, we haven't been doing Christmases in Omaha. Um, but it's been, well, I guess we've done, yeah, I guess when grandparents started getting older and it was just harder to have everybody, mm. you know, around, yeah. we, we, my family being my nuclear family started doing, uh, the holidays just kind of to ourselves, but, um, yeah, my parents. So my parents are down in uh, Alabama with their RV. They uh, oh. they're kind of like <clears throat> um, resort stewards at this like luxury RV resort. Mm -hmm. So they get to take the bus down there, and they they park it down there, and they get to keep it there for free as long as they kind of like help check in the guests and lead kind of like little fun party games and just kind of be someone that builds a little bit of a community because like this place is ridiculous it's like all the people that go there have these rvs that are like at, at minimum probably half a million dollar and up rvs and Ooh. then they go to these <clears throat> like luxury rv resorts and they have little like house like mini houses like attached to their rv pad which is next to their half a million dollar <laughs> bus that they own so they're down there and they're just kind of like you know working part-time they're both retired now doing their own thing they've got birdie down there so birdie's like the mascot of the resort she drives around on the golf cart whenever my mom and dad are out saying hi to everybody so they're down there doing that and then yes i am uh aunt ginger from from maine is coming down and uh, I think she's coming in towards the end of this week, and then we're going to go down to Arkansas and see my grandma. Oh, nice. Is your sister coming out from Charleston? No, she, uh, since she's, she had last Christmas off, which is, that was the first yeah. time that I ever got to go to Charleston, was she had Christmas off, so we went down there. Uh, but this year, she's working, so she's she's staying there with, I guess, doing her own thing. I'm going down to, to see grandma, and... Yeah, my parents are down in in Red Bay. They're like forty five minutes away from I think it's Perdido Key or something like that. So okay. they're pretty close to the beach. They got my mom was telling me yesterday it was like oh yeah it was in the seventies, like beautiful weather. And here in St. Louis, it's like twenty four degrees today, and it just sucks. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it's literally like finally it took forever, but now it's actually finally like winter because the last. We had like a little cold snap where it got down to like maybe the 30s, yeah. but the last like month, it's just kind of been like that cloudy in the 40s weather. So not cold enough to be winter, but shitty, too shitty to be fall, I guess. So yeah, we um, our weather, it's actually been pretty warm and this is going to be the first first week coming up where it's going to start dropping down low. I mean, again, in Georgia, it's been we obviously aren't getting too brutal winters, but it'll drop down in temperature. But most of the past few weeks, it's been high, mid 50s, uh, low, oh, mid 60s. That's beautiful. Yeah. If it's not going to snow, I'd just rather it be warmer weather. I don't mind the cold if it's going to actually be temperatures conducive for snow. But I hate when it's 42 degrees and then it's just raining. And the past week or two, we've actually gotten a good bit of rainfall. So I'm happy that it's been warmer because very few weather conditions put me in a worse mood than cold rain yeah i was i was absolutely shocked the other day 
this is, I, I'm of the same opinion. Like, if it's going to be cold, it's got to be cold enough for snow. If it's if it's just brutally cold and there's no snow, like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, and um, and I want it to actually be a good bit of snow. I I want the cities to be equipped and prepared to handle it in terms of clearing the roads and stuff. But it's if it's going to snow, I almost want copious amounts of snow. Yeah, yeah. It, none of this like just little, you know two inches and then it's all melted by the next day and it's gross and slushy like no give me give me the snow winter is coming that that's another thing if you just get little amounts the snow can lose its beauty very quickly if it's just enough to yeah, barely cover the roads and then the roads start slush. getting slushy yep and yeah god it's speaking good. of uh speaking of uh winter is coming have you done house of the dragon yet not yet. I was talking with Blake a little bit about that on our episode, and I'm sure us three have uh, texted each other about it. But that was a pretty blatant fu that Game of Thrones gave us as viewers in what yeah. they in what they decided to call the last season. So I'm not saying by any means that my stupid little petty vindictive protest against Game of Thrones productions is going to do anything. But at a certain point, a man's got to stand for something, you know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I've had a couple colleagues that were, you know, they said that House of the Dragon was really good to the point where they even said, like, it's early seasons of Game of Thrones good. So that gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, and um, we, we saw how that ended up. So may, I think my game plan with that is I'm going to let the entire series come and go. Oh. And then, and then based on the reviews and how they finish the, the series then i might dive into it what i i want to ask you i've been asking a lot of people this what's your whole thought on just a concept and idea of prequels i'm not too big a fan of them hmm you know i've never really pondered it i guess it depends on it depends on the series um with like well in this uh, you know, I think I might be your best uh, host or your best guest in terms of alienating viewers. So I'm just going to uh, let's just get this out of the way. Just jump into it. Pepsi's better than Coke. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the Lord of the Rings series as well as I should for someone who is, I will say, as nerdy as myself is. Um, but like, you know, everyone was talking about the new game of the or game of the rings. Shit. Everyone. Amazon just put out the new Lord of the Rings series, but I just, yes. I don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I know that it has played like a huge influence. The trilogy, on... the original trilogy is really great. And that's weirdly become a, almost my own little Christmas tradition is over the Christmas holidays. Now I'll usually just knock out the, the Lord of the Rings original trilogy. Yeah. I watched them uh, when I was doing post post, my last year at camp with um it was like Tyler, John Burr, Trey, a couple of guys were like, wait, you've never seen the Lord of the Rings movies? And I was like, no. And I to be honest, I remember I remember sitting down and watching them with those guys and it was a ton of fun, but I don't remember I just don't remember the Lord of the Rings very well. So maybe I need to sit down and give it some time. Um I haven't seen the Hobbit or the television series. I haven't and yeah, I haven't either. And I think that well, both of those, The Hobbit is a precursor to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Yes. And then I think the Amazon show is a 
prequel to even that. So really, I, I could be totally wrong. Interesting. Uh, comment your comments in the comments. I have no idea. I'm but... in your comments. In the comments. <laughs> um. So yeah, that that's how much I know about Lord of the Rings, unfortunately. But like, I feel like, I mean, in in the Star Wars, um, in terms of Star Wars, what was the what was the one with um Amelia Clark, the Star Wars movie with Amelia Clark? Oh God, Jamie, pull that up. Um, um I forget. But was that a was Star Wars? It was Solo. It was Solo. Okay, was Star and- Wars the were they the first to kind of do that? Well, they, yeah. I, once again, I'm not a Star Wars nerd. I know Star Wars better than I know Lord of the Rings, but I still know nothing about yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm, I know Lord of the Rings better than I know Star Wars, but that's like saying I know how to speak fluent Dutch better than I know how to speak fluent Russian. I, I, yeah. I don't know either <laughs> of them. Exactly. So, like, well, and I feel like Star Wars is a little different, maybe because they did it by design. Like, they, at least just the way that they order that they release the movies they did what was it four five six starting in the 80s and then then they did one two three starting in like the 2000s so i feel like that was wasn't necessarily i guess it was a prequel but mm-hmm. it was still part of the same set of like six that's a good point though you what a, you what might a be onto something here nick that had to that had to have been I know, like, hey, we're gonna start this franchise in the mid, like midstream. We're not gonna have any context for any of this, and then to have it blow up and be as relevant. You as don't it know is it today. now, but by starting in the middle of the story, we're gonna create this massive universe where people never know when it's gonna end or begin, and we can cre- keep creating sequels and TV spinoffs and keep loading our bank accounts with money. Yeah, for and yeah, for forty. 40 year 40 plus years we're going on and that's another reason why i think i've told you and blake this when we're doing our chats or calls is i get nervous about watching anything in the fantasy or sci-fi or make-believe world because then it gives them an out that says well fuck it the storyline doesn't have to make sense because this is a fantasy world anyways yeah because time time travel magic like there's they just have an out. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation with my buddy when we were talking about Game of Thrones. And when I questioned a legitimate plot hole, he said, oh, well, you know, there's such thing as suspension of disbelief. And I said, Matt, let me explain this to you. My disbelief is suspended when I'm willingly just going along with dragons flying around and all this and dark magic. Ice zombies and everything else. When I want to know how Jamie Lannister all of a sudden magically just popped up on a beach after being in what a situation I would describe as certain death, I, I'd like a little backstory on how he got out of that. I, I'd like a little detail and some explanation. You've already got me for six years worth of viewing. Go ahead and add another 10 minutes to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, speak taking it back to Star Wars, I think one of the biggest gripes or plot holes, at least that I've heard the community talk about, is... Like, how did the rebels know that they had to drop the missile down the that one vent shaft to blow up the Death Star? And that was just like people like, there's no way that they would have known this. How do they figure this out? And a couple years ago, I mean, Disney put out um, Star Wars Rogue One, mm-hmm. and that was an entire movie that they spent, I would imagine, hundreds of millions of dollars on. 
that explained how the rebels went and got the information that they needed to know that that was the tube, you know, or the vent shaft or whatever that they needed to drop the missile down. So like, I'm all for, I guess that I think rogue one was a good prequel in that, well, I guess it wasn't really a prequel, but it was really just a movie that happened before. I guess it is a prequel. It's a pre I'm calling it a yeah. prequel. I don't care. At me in the comments, <laughs> but it was, I mean, just the balls to, you know, and I, I feel like that's a, a, a good, like an honest representation or like a, a good thing to do by a community like that. If, you know, for years, people are like, how did the rebels know? And then the studio comes out and is like, all right, we're going to fix this plot hole. It's going to take an entire movie to do it. But like, that's, I think that's a good thing for the, you know, the Star Wars fan base to get that closure or not necessarily closure, but like to get the explanation and see that the the show writers are actually like listening to the community's gripes and are willing to to put out new content that fills in a plot hole. Yeah, and it felt like unfortunately for Game of Thrones, a lot of their plot holes and production errors happened in the last season. So there was really no recourse for that to fix it is there um it's gotta be tough because you're trying to keep the plot and the storyline and everything so close to the vest and not have any leaks or anything leak out. But there is something to be said about when you're working on a project like that and you're too close to it. I equate it to whenever you're typing up a paper for school, you're typing up a paper and you're looking over it, you're proofreading it. And then you give it to somebody for proofreading and feedback. Totally. And the first paragraph they notice, Hey, there's two typos right here because you've been so close to it that you don't notice that, Oh, I typed in form instead of from simple mistakes like that. And I think they were so close to some of the stuff that they needed an outside opinion to be like, well, okay. Um, you've got this guy named Braun who can see into the future. You've got dragons who can fucking fly. And somehow, even though you're the most dominant army and fighting force in the world, you've got this ragtag group of ships that is still somehow able to shoot your dragon out of the air. Don't you think you could just, um, shouldn't this be a one day war where Bron is just looking into the future, can see everything happen and you guys can make contingency plans on how to counter that. <laughs> he was that. Then you get, uh, then you're metagaming getting into the knowing the the rules of the engage but yeah no i mean i guess he couldn't yeah. just tell this dragon to turn left real quick and come around from behind and then just uh light, <laughs> light them all up yeah but dude that scene where the night king threw that javelin through the dragon's neck was awesome yeah. you remember how like that was just, just the visual effects too like you could see the dragon try and like breathe fire again but it gets mm -hmm. like caught up in his throat and then kind of like explodes out or whatever and then just the anxiety that comes on top of, oh, my God, the Night King has a dragon now. Oh, yes. And then some of the production. That's what you were talking about, right? Are you, were you yeah. talking about the scene where all the, well, no, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the scene. I think it's in the last season where, um, God, who is one of the last evil, um, one of the last Greyjoys, Euron Greyjoy or whatever. Euron, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, and he was like, build me a thousand ships and whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then okay. they yeah. take those ships and it looks like the two armies are about to meet. And the, um, like the Starks army and all of them, they had no idea that, um, 
uh, Euron's army was coming, and then all of a sudden a dragon's just flying, and then he gets just sniped out of the sky. Okay, yeah, sorry, sorry. I thought we were talking about, yeah, I was, yeah, wrong false equivalency there, my bad. I oh, no worries. Misunderstanding no the example. Worries at all. And then um, some of the production stuff was just, um, just not, not there. Um, you had that whole issue with the Starbucks cup popping up. And then, uh, in case anybody's not aware, we're giving out spoilers to Game of Thrones. Um, don't worry. The, the show spoils it more than we ever could. Um, <laughs> at the end, right before uh, John kills Daenerys, dude, they are so clearly in front of a green screen. It's not even close. They're not even trying to disguise that it's clearly computer-generated images behind. And they're in the middle of all this snow falling down. And what I noticed from my brief time of being a film student was none of the snow is sticking to John or Daenerys. It's sticking to everything and everyone around them, but not those two. And huh. that was literally the straw that broke the camel's back. And me and my friends were just the last 30 minutes. There was nothing they could have done to bring us back. We were just so tired of it. And it just, it felt like a big slap to the face. And they really just mailed in the last season is what I think pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, I I think I might have mentioned it on the last uh, last episode, but I have purposely, like when I was in school, avoided taking film classes or anything like that because I was just like, for me, movies and TV shows are entertainment. I don't want to have to sit down and analyze them. Like, I, maybe that's lazy, but I just want to turn my brain off and have some fun. And but no, I I totally totally see what you know what you're saying, where it's like small little details end up adding up and. But I will flip it and say, you know, we were, I guess, as as fans, we'd watched it for six years. But I mean, those guys, the actors and actresses, and they've been they've been working for the last yeah. six years, whereas we sat down and consumed what maybe a total of 60, 70 hours of content like they had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours. Yeah, and I get, and by the end of it, I'm sure that all the actors and actresses and production crew and everything were just as burned out as could be. And I think maybe that lends itself to some of the either plot holes or production slips or stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure they were so burned out, so invested, and it just took a large part of their very essence and being to create those characters or storylines, and they were probably mentally checked out. But I will say, in terms of viewing, we may have only sunk 60, 70 hours into it. But, dude, at pre-camp, stuff like that, that those were our entire conversations. So, yeah, we yeah. may only watch an hour a week, but we're putting in 40, 50 hours worth of conversations. And <laughs> it was such a cultural phenomenon, and it felt like one of the maybe last times ever that almost the entire world would be tuned into one program at the same time every week. It, it felt really cool, you know? Yeah, no, I I'm totally with you there. Have you heard about the, uh, what, uh, avatar, the new avatar movie that's coming out way of the water. I think I'm going to watch it when I go up to Pennsylvania next week. I heard that that movie has to make $2 billion to break even. I've actually, I think somebody actually saw it and they said, the visuals weren't what they thought it was going to be, which gets into kind of managing your expectations that that plays a big role into how you're going to view and perceive stuff in life. Right. 
Yeah, that, that's that's fair. I just can't. I, I, I mean, how I don't know how people could sit around in a boardroom and be like, all right, we're going to make we're going to we're going to sink two billion dollars into the production of this movie. And we need to make that just to get our money back. Whew. That is so much. I wonder if it's something like maybe they can afford to do it because they know more sequels are going to come down the chamber and they'll have a lot of stuff set up and ready to use and reuse in future productions. And maybe, yeah, that, that kind of becomes the, the crappy part about filmmaking in Hollywood is if you have a very good movie, it feels like it's just a matter of time before they dilute their own product by making too many spinoffs or too many sequels. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I guess I'd say, I mean, I think uh, Disney and the Marvels, you know, universe is kind of doing it to themselves now. Yeah, where they've gone through so many different phases, and you know, I, the original, you know, Avengers movies were awesome, but now I'm kind of just to the point where it's like, eh, I, I could take it or leave it at this point. There's... I don't understand. I don't know if you saw the. The, the second Doctor Strange movie, but everybody was like, oh my god, this is this was the best Marvel movie ever made. I I didn't see it. I didn't see the same movie that they saw. <laughs> I was just like I didn't understand it. I did like the the, the Spider-Man movie with the the three I guess it was the unification Andrew Garfield, Tom oh god, uh, hold on who are the three Spider-Man? Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Oh. New guy. What's Who's his name? Dayton Zendaya. Tom mm. Holland? Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah, Tom Holland. Jesus. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, like... and so that's kind of the um blessing and the curse about technology and how fast stuff is moving is that there is zero chill time anymore. And they it feels like they are already wrapping filming of the sequel of the movie before the first one has even premiered and they're diluting their own market. It's just a rat race of trying to get it out there yeah. and produce. The same thing's happening in video games too. And that's, you know, I know a little bit more about video games than I do about movies, but like, okay, go ahead. You know, uh, well, speaking of which, um, I don't know if you're on Twitch, but if you ever on Twitch or anyone who does video game streaming and follow that, follow my boy, Dustin Kennedy at, Liquid Prince TV on Twitch. Oh, look at that drop. Look at that. You got to. That you got to plug the homies. You got to plug the homies. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, you know, I'm just going to uh, FIFA, all the soccer video games, yeah. all the, you know, uh, NFL football games, NHL, even, I mean, even the like first person shooter games, mm -hmm. you know, uh, do we really need a new FIFA or a new Madden or a new NHL every single year? No, you need an update to update the teams that all the real life players have switched to since you released the game, you know, last year, you don't need a new, you're not going to change the game of hockey in a video game. Why do you need to put out a new NHL every year? I think that's more or less what they're doing. They just happen to correlate it with the year that it's being released so i i think that's really what is kind of going on joe well i, I will okay let me flip it here if it's not if it's not on. sports it's then i'll take it to the probably one of the worst offenders i'm going to take it straight to call of duty oh wow you don't need a new call of duty every single year 
And that's there's three different video game studios who make Call of Duty video games. I think there's Sledgehammer, Activision, and Treyarch. Mm. And they're on like a three-year cycle because, you know, they say that it takes three years to make one of those games. But every single November, there's a new Call of Duty from one of those three studios that comes out. And it's like, we don't, and especially, I mean, the newest Call of Duty, the, the one that just came out, Modern Warfare, which is a remake or I guess a reimagining of the like early mid two thousands modern warfare has mm-hmm. been great. I'm loving it so far. Um, but like the last two that came out, there was one that came out, I guess, 2021, it was call of duty Vanguard dog shit. And then the one that came out before that was call of duty black ops, which was made by Treyarch. And Treyarch is, you know, I like the Treyarch games because they have the Call of Duty Zombies, mm-hmm. which is like a round-based, you know, survival thing. But the multiplayer in that game was dog water, too. I don't know. I, so they just keep, because they have to keep cranking out the amount of content to keep the studios afloat. I get it. It's a money game. But, like, you don't just up like put out a new update that has new guns or, you know, so you just... You don't need a brand new Call of Duty game every every year. And I'm not sure how different the sports games do. I'm sure there's different modes in terms of managerial or roster management mode that you can do, but the game itself isn't really changing. You know, football fields are still going to be a hundred yards in length. They're going to have a certain width requirements. So it's exactly. not it's not all of a sudden Madden is going to be Oh, now now the football games are taking place in the White Mountains. So you're going to have to figure out how these players adapt to snow and mountainous terrains. It's the game's still pretty much the same. And again, with Call of Duty, you can add or incorporate different new gameplay changes, little subtle ones. But it feels like all you're really doing, the major changes between maybe upgrading certain wet weapons or kits you can get is just creating new maps and new campaigns and like you said just really so are they making a new one or they just is it just a kind of grandiose way of an unveiling an update is is that what's going on is that oh well that's yeah it's a grandiose way of unveiling an update but they make you pay 60 bucks for the update Mm -hmm. quote unquote whereas you know I get it. Everybody's got to make money. The people who are developing the games, they've got to get paid. They've got families they got to feed. But I'm just saying it, it, iteratively, there's, they're not redesigning the game. They're just reskinning it. They're taking You're putting the same a different content. wrapping material on the same gift. Exactly. And I'm, I'm pulling it up now. There's been a new Madden every year since at least 2001. Oh yeah, oh twenty one to twenty twenty two, and they've already. I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying there's been a new Madden come out every year since nineteen ninety one. So, yeah, ninety three, four, five, six, seven. All so yeah, it was probably especially in the, the game 90s. of football has not changed in the last twenty one twenty. Well, I mean, yeah, hasn't changed all that much. Not a whole lot. It's definitely become um, more geared towards a offensive style of play because that's uh, people are infatuated with points. So, yeah, you want to make the game as. But that's how the game of football is played. I don't know how well that's represented in a video game. 
you know, a lot of the same principles are still the same. You still have um, four downs to get a first down, a touchdown, and still worth six points. Um, some small changes over the course of time have been implemented in football as they would in any other sport or any other organization. But again, they're not completely changing the game of football. They're not just saying, hey, now you have to go play on a mountain or now we're incorporating basketball scoring. It's still yeah. at its core, the same game. This might be a little bit of a controversy here, but I think in real life, I think U.S. hockey should go to the international sized ice. What's I'm the difference? this on you out of nowhere. But Is international a smaller size rink? No, it's bigger. Bigger? NHL, yeah, NHL plays on a smaller rink than what you see in, in Europe in the international leagues. And, and the again, game is totally different. That, so like when they play in the Olympics versus when you play in the NHL, it's different ice. That's why the Olympic games are – it's more about – skill and speed versus NHL American hockey is just like mashing people into the boards. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, Joe is Europeans and international people, uh, kind of in a vacuum, they seem to appreciate arts and craft work more than we do in America. And so when you get the smaller rinks again, it's more about how can we create more of these barbaric car crashes that we love to see <laughs> with these grown men crashing into each other. And my guess is, it makes the game a lot faster because, again, it's a smaller rink and it probably leads to more scoring opportunities, which is kind of correlates with technology improving so rapidly is we want everything quicker, sooner, faster. And so that yeah. I could see a lot of the American sports leagues doing stuff like that. So football's not going to not going to change their field length or anything too dramatically. And I don't know the last time they changed it. But they are putting a lot of rules in places to make it more advantageous advantageous for the offense to score. Yeah, I, I'm surprised from like a health standpoint or like a legal standpoint that they're not considering making a football field bigger. Because like or I, I don't know, I guess what would lead because like, you know, when these guys are getting hit playing football or ice hockey or anything, I mean, that's like being in a car crash, like you said, I mean, but like. If, if the fields are wider, does that mean that there's fewer hits or does that just mean that guys are running at full speed longer before they <laughs> crash into each other? So like maybe it's I think a larger field would make it safer in terms of, like you said, it's taking longer to get distances. So instead of maybe traveling 10 yards to tackle somebody, now you're traveling 20 yards and just simple math will tell you that the more distance a, a human travels, they're not going to. It's not like a car where we can sustain 60 miles an hour for the entirety of our drive. It's, we're going to slow down as soon as more. it requires more effort and more time. We're going to be mm. slowing down as the game goes on. I think it would make it safer. But the NFL, I think, they care, they care about safety to an extent, but they care about it as much as the public will require them to care about it. And I think the public... We can say, obviously, we want the players to be happy and healthy. If we could guarantee the most barbaric hits and collisions, but they would still walk away and have no long-term health effects, people would sign up for that. And the NFL recently in the past, this is the second year, Joe, where they added a game to the regular season. So instead of 16 games played during the regular season, they play 17 mm. games. So the NFL, on one hand, is talking about their top priority is safety and the health of the NFL players. But when you start adding games to this barbaric sport, 
that flies in the face of what you're saying, but because the money is there and it keeps getting generated, we're as viewers and consumers, it would kind of be on us to change the patterns and influence in the mindset of the NFL. If we stopped watching because, oh my gosh, these players are getting too big, too strong, and too fast, and they shouldn't be hitting each other 10, 20, 30 times a game. Um, it would be the consumers that would need to start changing their patterns and their habits and speaking with their money more or less. Because if the NFL keeps getting rewarded financially with these games and with the sport, which they do, they keep growing a tremendous amount of revenue every year. What mm -hmm. incentive do they have to actually shorten the season? Why would they want to take money out of their pockets? And when you're the owner, why, why do you care? You're sitting in this nice box in your nice suit watching the product. You're, you're not the one putting your body on the line. Why do you care? Yeah. And you see it so many of those like, you know, Hall of Fame inductions and for I mean, for all of those sports, you know, the the guys who are, you know, top peak athletes and it, and and just how damaged their bodies are afterwards. You know, they're getting inducted to the Hall of Fame at, you know, late 40s, early 50s, and they're walking around. And they've got walkers and canes and just all the stuff you hear about CTE now. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, and the shelf life, I mean, what's the shelf life on a, on an NFL player, three, four, five years. Yeah, I think so. The average is about three years. And then think about all the damage that you have to do to your body just to, just to get to that level. Like you've got to play football your entire life. You got to play hockey your entire life. I feel like hockey's maybe not as bad in terms of the hockey is incredibly weird. It just feels like. They are built differently because it doesn't seem on the surface that their damage is too much different from what an NFL player would be, but they seem to play into their 40s no problem at all. Yeah, I think a lot. I mean, there are some really young guys that play in the NHL, but like I just read an article the other day. Um, there was a there's a former NHL player. His name was Yarmir Yager. Oh, yeah. And he Yager. owns a uh, a team. Uh, he's like the owner of a team in the Czech Republic. And, and I guess a bunch up. of his players got sick. So he ended up having to suit up as the owner of the team and go play. And I thought that was just awesome. But he's in his 50s now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure that's every owner's dream is to, you know, have enough of their guys. And I mean, the guy was a legend. He played in the NHL for, oh, yeah. For, I mean, decades decade which yeah. is crazy in itself but like you know he, he got to lace back up and play for the team that he owned and i thought that was awesome yeah it's interesting because um i think one of the things that causes one of the most damaging things for football is the forward pass and i read an article and it made a lot of sense that the reason there's so many less injuries in rugby is any of their passes that they pass to another teammate, it has to be behind them. Yeah. Or lateral. Yeah. Yeah. Or does it have to be behind in, in rugby or does it just have to be lateral? I think it has to be even or behind. I don't okay. think you yeah. can be, I don't think you could be an inch ahead of me. Right. Right. Yeah. But if we're at, yeah, if we're next to each other, you could. Yeah. Okay. And it also seems like they, um... well, and the, they don't let rugby players play with, protective pads you know the nhl or the nfl would look a hell of a lot different if they didn't have helmets and shoulder pads and everything else 
And it's interesting because sometimes you wonder if the pads actually lead to injuries because the guys aren't trying to do form tackling like in rugby. They're just trying to run over a guy and they're trying to utilize some of their pads and equipment to just knock people over instead of wrapping up and form tackling like you're taught. Yeah. And I mean, oh, I, (laughs) me and my uh, 100, 100 pound frame when I was playing high school football, (laughs) <laughs> so I'm not the not the person to ask here in terms of expertise, but yeah, I mean, I I remember playing football and going, and I wouldn't have hit people the way that I did when I was, you know, had I not been wearing a helmet and shoulder pads. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I just the 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 abuse that those guys put their put their bodies through is crazy. Mm-hmm. And to get to that level and then to play professionally for a couple of years. And they, a lot of those guys, unfortunately, have some pretty serious health problems after just due to the what it takes to get to that level. And then playing at that level is. Oh, yeah. And then one thing to look up that I think will fascinate you is go look up NFL offensive or defensive linemen and look at them in their playing careers versus when they retire. And a lot of them end up just losing the weight that they had to carry. And when, when they get to that weight, because they're professional athletes, they're big, but they're not like obese or anything. They just have big frames and they fill them out to where they're 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. So it it looks about as tone and as fit as you can get for carrying that weight. But then when they um, go look at Joe Thomas, what he looked like when he was playing versus what he's not playing at anymore. And it's just like, Oh my God. Wow. You look like a very healthy just physically fit individual. Whereas when you were an offensive lineman, again, you still look physically fit for all things considered, but you had about a hundred pounds more of weight on you. Yeah. It's crazy. That those guys are machines and just, they just, they do it. They get, they take the hits and they keep going. It's great. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a reason why you can only play one, one game a week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, for sure. What uh, all right? I got to take this back into a realm that I'm f- more familiar with. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about your boy Henry and his departure from The Witcher, only to be shot down by uh, who were the two guys who were making the new superhero movie? Oh, it, or a Superman it, movie? Yeah, I thought, and I didn't look too much into it, but I heard he was leaving The Witcher to go do Superman. Is he not doing Superman anymore? Yeah, so he came out, and oh, I didn't know I was springing this on you. I thought you would have heard it. No, go so ahead. So we'll, we'll Henry Cavill it. left The Witcher to go be Superman, and like came out public press release like I'm leaving The Witcher to be Superman, and then literally like two or three days ago, I guess he put out another statement or the, the studio who was making the new Superman movie came out and was like, yeah, Henry Cavill's not going to be Superman anymore. <laughs> huh. I wonder what happened if there was a disagreement, fallout. I wonder wonder what it could have been. Could have been. Yeah, I don't know. A I number mean, of different things. I don't think I've seen any of the Superman movies. Actually, I, I have not. The only Again, for DC me. Mov- mar- movies I ever saw were the Batman movies. Yeah, and I think you've got to be a real diehard into those universes. And let's let's face it, they've got plenty of those people and those fans. But if you're not, if you're kind of like me or you, where you enjoy that stuff, but you see how fast they're getting produced, you're just I I can't. I I'm trying my best to keep up, but you guys are saturating your own market. You know, 
Like, yeah, we we can't have a new Superman film get produced every two months. OK, I I need some time to decompress, take stuff in. I, I heard somebody highlight how fast they did a great little like explanation of how fast stuff is going on. And they were talking about how somebody had already produced an Elizabeth Holmes documentary or docuseries. And they did it before her court case was, it was still ongoing. And it's just like, that was another piece of the chapter you could have had, but everybody's so eager and so anxious to get material out and crank it out that they're not even letting the story that they're portraying and following finish. Everybody's I don't think so. I know who Elizabeth Holmes? Oh, is. the Theranos, um, the the Theranos um, CEO and executive that oh. just um, got caught up in the scam and the fraud with this trial. At all. She uh, would do those Steve Jobs like presentations where she changed her voice and everything and had like a deeper voice. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, I think I saw and, a clip of that once. Yeah, yeah she, said she, she like drop her voice a couple octaves while she was hello, giving her I'm TED Elizabeth. talks. No, yeah, something like that. That's so. It, wait, and she was caught up in a. I guess a she had fraud some, ring or something. No, she had some invention or some healthcare product that she claimed was way more advanced and claimed it had more capabilities than it was actually capable of, and it was just a scam and then she quickly just almost out of nowhere i guess grew this multi-billion dollar company with big funding from a lot of key well-off people and hmm. then it turned out to be i, I guess a, a house of cards would be the right term yeah and interesting none of the stuff they claimed that it could do it was able to be done they were way overselling the product and its capabilities huh I gotta take a look at that. I'm I'm not I I feel like I remember seeing a a clip of someone like pointing out how this lady talked in interviews versus I think what that she was sounded one, like in real life, but I didn't know there was a whole scandal behind it. I think that was one of the I'm not sure I'm just loosely following it from reading headlines and stuff, but I think that was one of the original things where people started to say, huh, something's not right here. I went to college or grade school or high school with this girl, and unless she had surgery, her voice has changed a few <laughs> octaves. Ah, interesting. So I think that was one of the things that started um, letting people know that mm, this uh, this may not pass the smell test. Did you ever, I think I might have mentioned it to you, did you ever see that documentary? It was called Wild Wild Country. No, what's that about? Oh, I'm dropping this one for your listeners. So this one, it, it's old. It's on Netflix. Well, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's there anymore, but it's about um, this religious group in maybe Are the... In Idaho? Yes. In the late, like, 90s. Yep. And just the crazy shit that they got into. It's basically, like, hijacking this town, taking it's over, taking over a city council... And like bringing in a, a bunch of like homeless people to pad the population numbers so they could all get elected and like just the crazy shit that they did. At this oh, compound. so it wasn't Idaho. It was California took place in. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. That's <laughs> you're talking about the 2022 version. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's being done right now in, in other parts of the country. But yes, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, they're actually going to do a wilder country where, hey, homeless people, come here. You can live here all you want. And surprise, we've got robots to now kill you. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, that was the thing that just came out recently. Didn't they say that, like, California or Texas or maybe it was Dallas? I think California is. They, I, I think it's up in limbo and up in litigation right now, but they had some type of crime-fighting robot. And, again, just based off taglines and headlines, I didn't read too much into it, but it seemed like they had the capability of killing humans, I, I guess, under the jurisdiction of the law. I guess they'd be part of the police department in some way, but then they that got put on hold. And it's Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an issue with that, with the with a robot doing it versus a human. Like what so this and I watched a video on this from a guy who was a former police officer. And I guess if if you have a barricaded suspect, no hostages or anything, and he's like, I'm gonna kill cops if you know, you try and stop me or something like just put a put a grenade on the robot, drive it in there and kachunk, then everyone goes home happy and safe. Like, yeah, yeah when it's uh... it's still a person controlling the robot. So why does why do you have to put another human being in harm's way to stop someone who is intent to do harm? Yeah, that's just one of uh, many conundrums and um, talking points that a program like this would have. Um First off, it's uh, obviously innocent till proven guilty. So you would hope that that person would have a day in court. And um, if obviously we would love for no human lives to be hurt or sacrificed or God forbid lost. But I think the issue with it for me is, especially in a state like California, is there are, and it seems this way across the world is, it's kind of like, um, I'll use that Jordan Peterson analogy or reference is, why are you trying to clean up somebody else's room when your room is a mess, you know? And it feels like they presented this as a way to, and I, I know so little about it, but it feels like the money and energy they used in getting that program off of the ground, if some of it was to help out and combat some of the homelessness, it feels like some of that money would have just been better off helping out the homeless population. You know what I mean? Hmm. I guess uh, maybe I'm not following. What were they saying that like they spent a bunch of money developing this robot that can whack people. And you're saying that that money would have been, been better spent putting into some kind of social program or something. Yeah. I'm kind of making a okay. false, I think I'm making a false equivalency now, but, um, yeah, it feels like um hmm, I'm trying to think of the right way to um explain. It it feels like they're just taking on too much without actually making any progress on current problems they have. Hmm. Okay. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Like if you were a city council member and you kept listening to all of your constituents complaints and all of the problems at a certain point you have to start getting into action and start start dividing and conquering and knocking out stuff it um i find myself getting into trouble with this all the time one of my great strengths based on this book called strength finder is called i'm a learner and 
that means I like to learn a little bit about a lot of different topics. And I could start learning how to build a chair, but before I finish building that chair, I will start on another project or another something else. I'm totally guilty of that too. I do that all the time. <laughs> I, yeah. I do it with video games. I'll start playing a video game and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I'll sink, I don't know, maybe 10 hours into it and then never yeah. finish it. Never, and, never and again. I'm probably totally off, but I thought the robots in some way were to help out with the homeless population or, or crime fighting or law in some way. And on the one hand, it's kind of like, again, if you're wanting to improve law enforcement, I know this is not going to be a popular opinion, but you have to put more money into training and probably more money into officers' paychecks. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, I guess I'm not familiar enough with what the intention of the robots yeah, I'm, was I'm not either, other so than shouldn't dwell I mean, on it or speculate too much. Of course, there was a case that there was a case in Dallas. And, and again, I'm, I'm quoting or, you know, reciting what I heard in this YouTube video that basically there was a, you know, barricaded suspect had already killed somebody was in the house and he's like, I'm not coming out. So I'm pretty sure the Dallas PD just, stuck some C4 on a little, basically on an RC car, drove it in there and killed the guy. So I guess there was already precedent and maybe that didn't get enough uh, coverage in the news, but then California said it or, you know, started proposing it and yeah, it got and more attention. Even stuff like that, it's tough just because you want them to have their day in court and hopefully go through the, the justice system as imperfect as it is, but you do want to make sure that we are giving that presumption of innocence which is part of our uh, foundation for our justice system. Mm. Mm. I see what mm -hmm. you're saying and you're saying all the right words. You're going to make me sound like a jackass here, but if you like, if you see someone kill another person, yeah, is there really yeah. any presumption of innocence? Yeah, and, and I definitely have those thoughts as well. And I'm it sure a weird, lot of people though, that... have those thoughts where if it's something so, the time you start diving into situations and what appears cut and dry on the surface, the more you start looking into it, not saying it's justified or it should have been carried out a certain way. It's um, it's not as black and white as we want to assume it is. Yeah, no, it never is. Never is. And I'm. I just yeah, I. I guess the precedent was already there, but I guess it didn't get the attention until. Until, of course, everything in California gets the attention, so. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. So, are you, uh, what are you hoping, uh, what are you hoping Santa brings you this year, if you were on the nice list? Well, Santa Claus is bringing me, uh, he's bringing me a Mossberg 940 JM Pro. Go ahead, Jamie, pull that up real quick. Mossberg 940 JM Pro. Is that some type of firearm? It is. Nice. Is, Santa um, Santa's bringing me a shotgun. I, I was when I hear Mossberg, I hear I automatically assume shotguns. Are they a um? Is that a brand or a specific type of shotgun? Well, yeah. So Mossberg is the brand. Uh, they only do shotguns, or do they do other firearms? No, they do a lot. I will say during COVID, I I don't follow Mossberg per se that closely. They just had this cool shotgun that i'm looking at but um yeah. they i think they do more hunting stuff i don't think they got into the sporting oh, rifle right format very much actually let me i'm gonna pull up their website i'll be my own jamie 
Um, yeah, it looks like they do handguns, shotguns. Let me check their rifles. Yeah, they're mostly... It looks like they do, like, bolt-action hunting rifles. I'm not seeing mm. any any sporting rifle, you know, platforms on the website here. Might eventually love to get myself a nice hunting rifle for when I start getting it, further man. into that. Well, I've got my um, Matthew solo cam bow and eventually want to do primarily bow hunting, but wouldn't mind doing some rifle and shotgun and firearms hunting as well. I mean, especially if you're hunting waterfowl, it's, it's a necessity. Oh yeah. I, um, towards the end of this year uh i guess it was towards towards the end of fall i went i went paintballing for a buddy's bachelor party had a ton of telling me that yeah and uh just was you know you start watching paintball videos then airsoft videos start coming up on youtube so i started watching some airsoft videos and i found a place in town pretty close by so i airsofted a couple times towards the end of the fall and i was just like man i need a hobby to get outside so that i'm not sitting inside all weekend long doing nothing yeah so i'm picking up this shotgun for uh you know i don't think i'll do too much hunting with it because it's technically a competition shotgun Mm -hmm. but there is a a skeet there's two skeet ranges pretty place or pretty close to my place um and then there's also a like a competition three gun uh shooting range here in st louis and i've never shot three gun before but i was thinking mm-hmm. about you know i guess they're like people that compete in it um pistol shotgun and then rifle so i don't know i was thinking about maybe giving that a try when the when the spring rolls around just to get outside and not be stuck inside the house playing video games all weekend long yeah <laughs> It's wild to me because as I start getting into the world of archery and bow hunting, there are competition bows and there are hunting bows as well. And you would kind of think a a bow is a bow is a bow and a gun is a gun is a gun. Um, Like most shotguns and in theory should serve similar purposes and functions, Mm -hmm. but apparently it is night and day how much better the performance can be on a competition bow versus one you would bring out in hunting. Really? Huh? Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know all that much about like competition firearms versus cause most of the time when I'm buying, well, historically the guns that I've bought have been for, you know, either target shooting, self-defense, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So like, I don't own any competition sh- pistols, but like the, you know, I think people usually upgrade the triggers on those and make them silky smooth. They start milling out a bunch of the parts of the receiver to make it lighter or yeah so i mean there's there's some crazy stuff in the competition market but then once you start getting towards the competition stuff then it's not as practical for everyday use so i told there's definitely a trade-off yeah and that's the thing is you've got to know what your intent and purpose is and i was listening to um or my buddy told me that he was listening to john dudley who is widely regarded as probably one of the best bow hunters or are in the world there is in the world right now And he said when he was going to competitions, guys who were probably not as great of a shooters were shooting just as good, if not better than him. And he said when he switched to a competition bow just to try it out, that if you wanted to do a competition, you probably needed to have a competition bow. But again, that goes back to what your purpose is. And 
a competition bow, it'd be nice to win a competition, but that's not why I want to have a bow. It's to get into hunting and archery. So yeah, I'd rather just get, um, like if you were a cop, whatever pistol you're going to be carrying around on your day to day, that's the one you should be getting, um, familiar with, you know, you want to know how that thing works. It would be weird for me to take out a, let's say I want to go hunting with a Matthew solo cambo. It'd be weird for me to be practicing on a Hoyt or a PSE or an Athens competition bow. It's not that I wouldn't know how to shoot, but you want to learn and get familiar with the weapon or the tool you're going to be using on a day to day. Yeah, totally. Totally understand that. You got to train with what you've got so that you're proficient with it. Yeah. And if you want to get into archery just strictly for competition, then it makes not a whole lot of sense to get a hunting bow and and vice versa. I'm assuming is the pull on a hunting bow heavier because it's got a. I think they can both be about, uh, I think the pull weight can be about the same. But what I've noticed from the competition bows is they are longer in length. Oh, not as compactor. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. From, from yeah. axle to axle. But my one buddy, um, he does a, my coworker, he does a lot of hunting out in New Mexico and Utah. He does a lot of elk hunting out there and it's kind of wide open desert areas. So he just, he has a competition bow and that's what he uses because he's not doing a lot of um, hunting in wooded areas where you need from to be a bit more stealthier. And yeah. also uh, he's a former military guy. He just seems like, um, almost kind of like Jocko where he's not going to make excuses or anything. You you give him a tool and he'll figure out how to adapt it to the environment and the circumstance and the situation. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, <laughs> fuck, he's fucking no nonsense. And he's kind of like, <laughs> and he looks at it. He's like, dude, what our ancestors were hunting with and the gear they had to use back in the day, they were still getting elk and shit like that. So we, we should be okay. Yeah. Well, we can figure it out. The only reason we couldn't do it is because yeah. Because we're bad. We, you can't make an excuse when we have today's advancements in technologies when our ancestors did it with sticks and twigs. Yeah. Yeah. And it, God, it gets to the point where you can get so dialed into the information, the territory you're hunting and stuff like that. It doesn't matter what type of bow or anything you have. You're so dialed in that you're going to get an animal regardless. And then there could be times where you have the top of the line equipment, but you're not doing research about the animal, the area. So all of that shit means nothing because you didn't put in some of the necessary work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm not a, not an accomplished hunter. I can't say I've really, I don't, I don't hunt most of the time when I'm going out. It's just for, well, when I, when I say go out, when I go out with a, with a firearm, it's, you know, I'm going to the range for target practice and, you know, just for, for fun, like we did down in Arkansas, but, I know there's probably a bunch of bunch of factors that you have to consider when you're when you know when you're actually chasing game. Yeah, absolutely. I need uh sometime over the next few weeks I need to link up with you and look into Arkansas's hunting seasons because I need to come out to that property you have and uh and uh do a few hunts out there. Yeah, man, totally. I we got we'd love to have you down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And oh, at my uh company Christmas party, I need to really start getting some game to utilize and cook because I ended up winning a big green egg at my company party on Friday. Oh, the smoker. Yep. Wow. Shit. Those are, those things are awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. It's at the office right now. I got some of the accessories home with me, but well, it's a good thing. You got that, that truck. Now you could fit it in there. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Those things are big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I got the large one. There's a size or two even bigger than that, but 
Holy it shit. Is, yeah, it is heavy. It's um it's very oh, awesome. I'm, I'm excited to get going with it. Delicious. Well, so it sounded like that. What what other than your big green egg, what's Santa Claus bringing you this year? Um, I asked for a lot of gear to start filling out and starting my hunting kit. So I asked okay. for this um uh when I was reading a lot of message boards and talking to hunter friends and stuff like that, Havilon knives kept coming up as one of the best to get for hunting. Mm. So asked for that. And then I also asked for um never heard of Havilon knives. Yeah. Apparently some of their hunting knives are made with um surgical grade knives and precision and sharpness. So oh. they can really get stuff done. I asked for it's funny as you start getting older what your gifts you ask for how they change and I asked for a lot of stuff to um make my sleeping experience more more enjoyable so uh some oh. new upgraded bed sheets and stuff like that I've started looking into weighted blankets and how they may help out with sleeping okay yeah I got my sister a weighted blanket uh for Christmas a couple of years ago and she How'd loves she... it yes yeah I hear She's there's a, a yeah I hear there's a lot of benefits to it Ed that's one of the things again as you start getting older start getting up there in age, your gifts and your mindset start to shift. And I am, yeah, I asked for a lot of stuff that's uh, either going to be hunting related or help me get a good night's sleep. Eventually I'm going to replace a mattress down the road. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. I, you know what? I had a, a friend who just recently bought a new mattress and I don't know why. I think it was more his wife drove him to do it, but he said he spent like three grand on this mattress. And I was like, well, I mean, I have one of those like, you know, Casper mattresses or whatever that I got from Costco. But yeah, how do you is, like them? I love mine, dude. <laughs> I mean, I had I've I had the same mattress like as a, I mean, I've probably had the same mattress my not my entire life, but for probably the last like 15 years of my life. And it was a uh, hand me down from a family friend or something before that so it was it was old and gross and heavy but this uh casper awesome just literally get it on the bed and you cut the little seal it comes obviously like vacuum packed so you cut the seal and then roll it out in your bed and it starts decompressing and fluffs up and dude i sleep like a, a king every single night how much uh how much did that set you back if you don't mind me asking it was pretty reasonable. Um, wait, let me. I I can pull it up real quick, but because mm. that's a that's one thing I didn't realize is uh, how expensive new mattresses and beds uh, can get. Like it, it can be as much as buying a new car. Oh yeah, they're very yeah. Some of them are very 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 expensive. I want to say mine was only like four three four hundred bucks. I'm trying to find the model now, but it was not like I thought because, you know, my buddy was like, oh, man, I had to buy this $3,000 mattress. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm not doing that. Um, but mine was only a couple hundred. Yeah, I definitely um, might look into a Casper mattress, something like that. Maybe it was Nectar. It was whatever, you know, what, I'll say, whatever was at Costco. Mm. That was the one that I got. And it was like three, four hundred bucks. Yeah, I think it was Nectar. Sorry, Casper, you don't get my product placement anymore. Oh, wow. I take it back. Oh, drama on the Lepreston Guest Podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's I I if you want to upgrade the sleep game, I'd say that's the way to do it is 
Costco mattress. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking at dude. Costco just they don't make the best of the best, but everything they do is just really good quality products. You know what I love oddly enough from Costco? They have these taco kits. Mm -hmm. They just have like pre-seasoned meat, a little bit of like shredded cabbage, like you know lettuce, you know, and God, and it, they're so good. They are yeah. delicious. Yeah, again, they um like tacos are the easiest thing in the world to make, but I still go to Costco every once in a while and I get the taco kit because it's just good and. You know, I get like three meals out of it. So I read about Costco in a book called Leaders Eat Last, and they were recognized as one of the better companies to work for in terms of that, whatever industry they're in, like the big box stores, retail, big box, stuff like retail, that. wholesale yeah. stuff. And when one of the financial crises hit, they actually gave their associates a dollar or two raise, and a lot of others were cutting jobs and stuff like that. And when they asked their CEO or one of their main people on leadership at the time, why they gave them a raise in that economic hard time, their answer was, we're supposed to be helping out our people in a time of need, not taking away from them. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's probably something you don't hear much. No, <laughs> weird, weird concept. You take care of people and uh, it's funny and how they much take they care want. Of you. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that works. Huh? I've heard one of like the best companies to work for, or uh, what was it? I think it they were listed as like either best companies to work for, but it was also just... CEOs being cool, but um, it was uh, Chobani yogurt. Have you ever heard about any of the, the stuff going on over at Chobani? No. No, it's just it's it's like I think it's an employee-owned company or something, and the CEO of the company like recognized you know how hard everybody was working, and then like based on years of seniority, like how long they've been with the company, the CEO like when they went public or if if they went public there was some something but basically however many years you'd been with the company you got a slice of like stock options so like you know the secretary who made thirty thousand dollars a year but had been with the company for 10 years ended up being like a multi-millionaire yeah so he was just, you know, doing right by his employees before the venture capitalists or whatever, whoever came in and bought him out. That's it. He was, yeah, just hooked everybody up. Just like, ah, you know, good guy, CEO. You don't hear about that much. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to is just take care of your people, look after them. I remember talking with one of our coworkers or last year at camp, and I was special areas director, so I had to go all over camp. And literally my my program areas were stationed all over camp and there was one other uh, director of a program area that had areas all over camp and he came in one night and was just talking and I was just writing my staff a little. The last year I'd write them, I would find a quote and just write a quote for them on a piece of paper and then hand it to each one of them and it would be the same quote. It'd say, um, anything is possible, something uplifting. And then once a week, instead of just giving all of them each of the same quote, I would write them just a little personalized thank you card. And I had about 15 or 16 staff under me. So I had a good bit of people to get this out to. And it was hard enough just doing the same quote every day, let alone doing a heartfelt message to each of them. And he came into me while I was in the office right before we're getting ready to go for a night out. And this is leadership. So it's like 7, 8 p.m. in the office. And he was running around closing up his areas and asked what I was doing. And I said, I'm writing my uh, the staff who 
is on um, special areas, a little thank you note. And I try and do a personalized one to them once a week. And then the rest of the days, I'll just find a generic inspirational quote and hand it to them when I check up on them. And he said, I don't know how you have time for all of that. I'm running around, closing up program areas, checking on some of the work and stuff like that. And I said, you know, I would argue that the reason I have time to write these letters is because of these letters. And it's so crazy how a little thank you recognition just, hey, I don't have much, but this I'm going to give you everything I have. These people lose their minds over these thank you letters. And they say, Bobo, what do you need done? What what can we do for you? What can we do for you to make your job easier? And I said, hey, that's that's actually my job. I'm here to make your jobs easier. And um, it seems like these letters really help you out and give you some inspiration. So I'm, it's not it's just time that I'm losing off my back. That's no big deal to me because the time is easily worth it when I get the thank you. So I was putting so much back into the staff that was working with me and I, I didn't have to go behind them and check on them and, and baby them. I, I was able to let them be adults and just handle the program area the way they wanted to. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't, uh, I didn't write my staff weekly notes when I was down at uh, ski beach, but, you know, looking back on it, I probably, I probably should have. I did do. I think I did do my last. Well, you've got to find. You've got to find what works for you. You know, everybody's got a. That was kind of. I think has always been authentically me and authentically Bobo and what I do. And if I was trying to take on some of your leadership qualities or styles, it people may not like it because it may not be authentic and maybe mm-hmm. genuine, and they may be like, "All right, you're you're clearly trying to be Joe Wolf." You know, just. And I think with whatever you did, leadership, quality, and style, and I've talked to several people who work for you, they they loved you. So you've got to find what works for you. It's not always yeah. going to be the the same style. Ski staff was a little bit different. Since you were special areas, you weren't there, you know, in their program area all the time, whereas me being, since I was on ski, I was with ski all day long. So yeah. I guess it was a little different. And well, and special areas yeah we're a team but they're also all trying to do their individual program area whereas ski staff you guys are all focused on one common goal which is to help kids water ski and wakeboard whereas rocketry has a completely different goal from riflery which has a completely different goal from nature and zoo you know what i mean so even though they were under one area they were different areas within one general umbrella Mm -hmm. that's fair you know, you know who were really good at that was John and Kate. Every year they oh would send us God. everybody on the waterfront. They send us a note with a cool little picture of our program area, like a staff picture. It was yeah. it was always nice. I, yeah, I and so still John and Kate probably experienced that a little bit because they're waterfront, but they've got wait. They send everybody a personal note or something. Yeah, well, I think they. I mean, Fuck. yeah, I always I was, got it. I I got all the way. I rose to the ranks of number two in sailing, and I received nothing. So I'm gonna. Just, <laughs> you guys say I, I befriended Kate on Instagram, so I'm going to reach out <laughs> to her and be like, hey, I just recorded a podcast with Joe and he said that you guys would send uh, your waterfront staff something uh, nice and personal. Was I not number two in sailing? <laughs> Was I not number two sailing? Did I well, not? Did I, I don't know, I Nick. You might not. How to tiller towards trouble. You might not. You might not like the response you get. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she was less than thrilled when John Burr and I did a, um, one of the S days and decided to just jump in the water with the kids and start swimming around and sailing. She was less than impressed with us that day. Uh, Well, you know, worse things could have happened. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Joe, man, I appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast. And I don't know if um, I've got one ready to go if you don't. But do you happen to have a quote or anything to sign us off with? If not, if not, I've got one ready to go. It was such Mm. an impromptu little thing. Yeah, you know what? I I forgot about the quote, so hit me with the one that you've got. All right, this is um this is coming from one of my favorite UFC fighters of all time, Mr. Conor McGregor, mm. and I think this is um came to me at a time in life where I just wasn't motivated, was lazy, not doing a lot of stuff, and it's pretty cut and dry, pretty straight straightforward. And Conor McGregor says, "Doubt is only removed by action. If you are not working." then that's where doubt comes in. So if you want to, if you want to, if you want to be confident, have less doubt in your life, just be active and keep moving, find a goal and start moving towards it. You're not always going to, you're not always going to have the plan or the roadmap every step of the way, but trust in your abilities to overcome what's ever thrown at you. That's awesome, man. I like that one. That's, that's good. Keep your feet moving. All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for joining the pressing guest. And let me know, uh, give me a text when you listen to this episode versus the first few minutes of our previous one. And I think you're going to say it's night and day difference. Yeah, definitely, man. we Will do. All right. Thank you very much, Joe Wolf. Have a good one, sir.